0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase health care capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond.
1: Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by two leaders affiliated with one of the nation's largest community college systems, the Maricopa Community College District which contains 10 schools located in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and that educates approximately 200,000 students a year. Brian Spicker is the interim president and CEO of the Maricopa Community Colleges Foundation, and Rochelle Rivas is the director of healthcare education for the district. I'm looking forward to learning from them how community colleges are faring as higher education and the US economy are being rocked by the COVID pandemic. So Brian and Rochelle, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So, Thank you. The first question we have is our audience is millions of current and future healthcare professionals, and they like to hear more about how you got to the positions you're in today. So can we start with you, Rochelle, because you, you do healthcare education. How did you wind up at Maricopa Community Colleges District? And then we'll turn right over to you, Brian.
2: I'll be happy to start. So I've been in higher education for over 16 years now, and the majority of that time has been with the Maricopa Community College system. Prior to being in higher education, my education and background is in public health. I did a lot of work around preventative health care and education into underserved communities, which led me to working with Maricopa Community College, specifically at South Mountain Community College, where I coordinated bilingual nursing fellowship program. And I was in that role for about 10 years. For the past six years, I've been at the district office serving in many capacities. And the last couple of years, I've been the district director for healthcare education. My main role as district director is to be a resource and a support to healthcare programs, faculty, staff, and students across the district. In addition, my focus is also to develop and implement organization-wide programs, initiatives, and establishing industry and community partnerships for Maricopa Community College to meet student and faculty and community employer needs.
1: That's awesome. That's really interesting how you got started and then now have grown to represent the entire healthcare education sector. Brian, can you tell us a bit more about your role of leading the philanthropy arm with the foundation?
0: Yeah, thank you for that, Shivit. My dad was a dentist, and he spent Wednesday afternoon every other week at St. Elizabeth of Hungary Clinic in Tucson. And so we all kind of grew up that it was a give back mentality. And if we're given gifts, we should share them. Some people have gifts like my father in terms of healthcare and dentistry. Others have gifts in the way of capital, in the way of sharing dollars. So for me, it was always, uh, I've been doing this since I was basically 20, opening group homes for the developmentally disabled back in the 70s when people were living in institutions and seeing the impact that a community can have around really improving lifelong outcomes for individuals has really been important to me, which really led me then to work in the HIV AIDS arena, building clinical trials here in Arizona in the 90s. And it was community-based. And we were doing the research on protease inhibitors and so many other emerging uh, drugs when we didn't even have a university hospital at the time to draw upon. So a lot of passion there, a lot about fixing the wrongs in society and healthcare and the the need for education, the need for empiricism and science to really drive solutions forward in our community. So I'm so privileged to be at the Maricopa Community Colleges Foundation to work with Rochelle and others to really move solutions forward, whether they're individual or systemic.
1: That's awesome. And one, uh, Familiar connection we both have is you, your father is a dentist, and my sister and brother-in-law are dentists, and they have several practices. So I've seen how COVID has impacted them. They're actually going to be wind up being yeah. guests on this podcast as well in a couple of weeks. Now I would love to get a bit of a better understanding because it's very interesting that you're at the intersection of healthcare and education, Rochelle. Uh, COVID has obviously changed a lot of things. And I'm curious. How is both the community colleges district and the foundation adapted to all the changes? And obviously Phoenix has been a hot spot. So I hope I hope you and your families have been safe in the midst of all this.
2: Yeah, you know, much like any academic entity, we've had to be innovative. We've had to make changes that typically would take us years to make, that we had to respond quickly to ensure that we are providing quality education to our students during this pandemic. In the healthcare space specifically, we had to convert everything that was done hands-on into a virtual format, a lot of simulation just to ensure that the students are still getting some type of hands-on experience, whether it is virtual or in-person. So our faculty have been amazing and innovative in creating this new world of learning for our healthcare students.
0: Yeah, what, 22,000 courses pivoting to a virtual environment? It's been miraculous me being able to watch individuals like Rochelle and so many of her colleagues make this pivot in such a short time to really meet the needs of our students and the community. I would also add the innovation that Rochelle has brought in terms of us meeting the immediate needs around personal protection equipment and how the colleges stepped forward quickly to support the healthcare arena and essential workers early on in the pandemic because there was such a dearth of supplies that were necessary as this expanded throughout our community.
2: That's a great example, Brian. And in addition to that, we're listening to our industry partners. One of the other initiatives that we started is around specialty nursing. There's a high demand right now with providing that specialty nursing, especially around critical care nurses. So we earlier in the year, we had launched and piloted a specialty nursing program that takes nurses and upskills them into these specialty areas. And with COVID, that kind of pushed this program even further. And we now have a list of nurses waiting to get into these specialty nursing training opportunities.
1: That's incredible. So yeah, is that sort of how your two offices work together? Where maybe, like Brian, you hear from industry partners, like maybe, I don't know if Banner Health is a partner, but obviously they're a large health system in Arizona but you work with the industry partners to identify what their needs are. And then Rochelle and her team builds programs for that. I'd love to hear how you both interact. Yeah, a good
0: question, Shiv. The content experts actually are with Rochelle and the, the district. And the way we're working together is... More traditionally, the district has done a a good job with reaching out to industry to be there to fill gaps, to adapt and be nimble. But what wasn't there was the philanthropic side of it. And so we're attempting to create a flywheel with industry so that as the gap is being met or shrunk around industry needs and what capacity the district has in colleges have in making sure our students are ready to contribute. As that gap narrows, we need to be there as a part of the conversation so that we're creating scholarships, we're creating program supports. I'll tell you, Shiv, one of the things we experienced in COVID was persistence and retention was really being affected by the outcomes that came with COVID, families who had family members losing employment. So the foundation worked closely in pivoting into emergency funds so that students had access to food, to rent, to utilities, so they could persist. Because those were, in many cases, the decisions students were having to make. And we wanted them to continue with the value of an education moving forward. The other piece to that is making sure that our community, our students, and our industry reflect the community we serve. So you won't find a more diverse student population than you would at Maricopa Community Colleges. Many of our students are first generation, others aren't, but we meet industry where they're at, and then we provide the supports to our students so that those industries have a diverse workforce that's talented and ready to meet the needs of the community.
1: That's wonderful. And so speaking of, I mean, we mentioned this in the introduction that you have over 200,000 students a year that you all affect. Can you talk a bit more about the breakdown, how many health professional programs there are, what the diversity of that is? I'd love to hear a bit more about how those programs are structured, how many students are in them. And then also, what are some examples of industry partners that you work with to then place the students who graduate from your colleges?
2: We have about 49 plus healthcare programs across the 10 campuses. And we also have two skill centers that offer some healthcare programming in a non-credit format. We have various programs that range from nursing, EMT, paramedicine, to unique programs that are only offered at Maricopa, like ophthalmic assistant. We have a wide range of programming, not only for that entry-level healthcare profession, but also in the continuing education space. We offer programming around how to keep that healthcare professional up to date and keep them skilled as they are exploring and expanding in their current role. We have some flagship programs such as our concurrent enrollment program with our Maricopa Nursing Concurrent enrollment program is a partnership between our local universities where students are essentially obtaining a bachelor's degree and associate's degree in nursing at the same time. And it's to expedite that BSN nurse to provide that for the community. So that has been a model that we've developed at Maricopa that's being replicated throughout the United States. So we have very unique and very exceptional programs across the district and across the state that you will not find anywhere else.
1: That's wonderful. And I'd love to hear when people graduate with these degrees from Maricopa, what are some examples of official partnerships you've all have formed to get them placed?
2: One example of a great partnership is one with um, Sonora Quest. We have a medical laboratory technology program at Phoenix College campus. We have a very specific partnership with Sonora Quest where we are certifying their current employees in a upgrade cohort model to serve SonoraQuest specific, their specific training needs for their employees. And so we have those type of partnerships where they're industry specific and employee partnerships where they send us their employees. And then we also have partnerships with the various facilities on our health, Dignity Health, where our students, once completing, they are placed and employed almost immediately into these facilities.
1: That's wonderful. So, obviously, COVID's accelerated quite a few trends that we knew were happening. We knew the 2020s would bring them. So, mass unemployment due to a recession, due to automation, due to globalization, and then also mass need for healthcare, right? Aging population, we need to get more home health aides and certified nurse assistants. Can you talk a bit more about enrollment numbers and how has that changed? What we hear from the other university presidents and others that we brought on to the show is that there are more people taking deferral years, right? Because they don't necessarily want to go through Zoom University. But I'm just curious, what are you seeing at Maricopa Community Colleges in terms of enrollment, demand for those 49 health professional programs? Are those safe bets or are those things that people are still deciding whether they want to get into healthcare, especially in the middle of a pandemic?
2: Fortunately at Maricopa, we haven't seen a decrease in the healthcare program specifically. I think overall as a system, we have seen a decrease in enrollment much like any other community college system, but fortunately for our healthcare programs, we have not been impacted. There is still interest in our programs and we have wait lists still for a lot of our programs for students that are still interested in entering. So I think, fortunately, that is great because during this time, we don't want to stop the healthcare workforce. We want to continue and produce a competent healthcare provider, and our faculty have been amazing during this time just to figure out and be innovative and how to incorporate these new trends that we are seeing, especially in the clinical space because clinical is limited right now due to COVID. So working with our industry partners to be creative and figuring out how we can still provide that hands-on, we're incorporating telemedicine into that clinical experience, providing that student that virtual opportunity to shadow a nurse or a medical assistant as they're guiding the patient through the telemedicine experience. Artificial intelligence is also a big component that we're trying to adapt into our curriculum, a part of that simulation and expanding. So, we are adapting very quickly and we're really watching the trends because we do want to provide that great experience and provide a competent healthcare professional.
1: That's excellent. I mean, we've had several guests on Ray's Line who've talked about telemedicine training as a specific need. One recent one was Dr. Michael Gustavison, who runs UMass Memorial Medical Center. And he gave us a fascinating statistic that up until March of this year, Their entire health system had only seen a couple of thousand virtual care cases, had not logged that many, but then between March and then I think August, they had gone to 150,000. So it was two orders of magnitude more. So that's great that you already have adapted to provide your learners some of the telemedicine experience. Brian, something you mentioned that really was interesting was the diversity of the student population, which lends itself into being a diverse workforce. One of our other previous guests was Dr. Tom Frieden, who used to run Bloomberg Philanthropies, the healthcare division of that. Michael Bloomberg made news recently for donating $100 million to historically Black colleges and universities, specifically to get more Black physicians trained. I'd love to hear more about the support you may or may not be seeing from the broader industry and business community to get more first-generation or underrepresented minorities into the college system.
0: Well, the college system has a, a rich history in working with Native peoples, as well as Latino and African-American in its student body, as well as its faculty. And I would share with you Shiv that recently we've been approached by a few companies that really want to take seriously what has emerged most recently around Black Lives Matter, around implicit bias, around uh, equity and inequity, Uh, around education. And so uh, we are in uh, the early stages of developing some internships that would help those companies that really have a goal of in the future, making sure that their efforts, these are technology-based companies, are really representing the diverse community that Phoenix and Maricopa community colleges as well as the region has. And so I think there's a convergence going on. And what's great is it's not about, oh, we should do this. How do we do it? It's about who should we partner with that can do it with us? And that's where the community colleges come in and the the team that Rochelle works with. As you heard, we've got an amazing product here in Arizona with our college system and other community colleges around the state. And so it's really about marshalling partnerships and collaboration so we can do this effectively in our community. So we're seeing a growing interest and trend. And my job then is how do we make them paid internships? How do we monetize some of this so our students succeed and have the financial wherewithal with apprenticeships, etc.? So uh, we're seeing more interest and serious interest across some of our industries.
1: That's great to hear that industry stepping up and and supporting these movements as well. The higher education system has been lambasted over recent years because the price of tuition has gone up far faster than inflation and other indicators. Community colleges often pride themselves on the fact that they are affordable options for working adults and first-generation college students. I'd love to hear whatever statistics you can share about your commitment, what you've done to reduce the debt load on your students. I mean, you mentioned a couple of things, Brian, like paid internships, work study type programs. So can you talk a bit more, first, Brian, and maybe then Rochelle, on how you've set this up and maybe whatever statistics you can share on average student debt loads, et cetera.
0: Sure. I'll start with a comment. In the post-secondary, that's a different universe when it comes to high-cost education. We don't even know what that universe looks like. And so that would be my first comment. The second is uh, we really look hard at how to support students, whether it's program supports or scholarships. And the foundation is really focused on those two things and how to build endowments for that. And so to give you an example, we just had an endowment built around certificates. This was a family that wanted to make sure those that didn't have a deep formal education had access to certificates in community dental outreach or in community health aids and outreach, as well as certificates in working in developmental disabilities. So we run the gamut. And in terms of our costs, I know Rochelle can talk more deeply about that, but I believe we've even lowered our costs in this environment. Um, So Rochelle, I'm going to look to you for some of the actual unit costs.
2: Across the state, we are probably the low-cost education provider in Arizona. Our tuition is about $86 a credit hour these days, and we just recently passed tuition that allows for students to, within a 12 credit hour It allows for out-of-state students to obtain a low-cost fee, but that's been the mission of the community college for many years, is for us to provide quality education at a low price. Our student population is very diverse, as Brian has mentioned, and we've always been known for the academic institution that always has been there to upskill, reskill the workforce during economic times like this the community college has always been there for the community and providing that level of education at a very low cost opportunity for the community. From a curriculum standpoint, when faculty or looking at new programs, that's the first thing that comes to mind. How do we make this financial aid eligible for everyone? How can we work with community agencies to provide these scholarship opportunities to ensure that we are creating open access to everyone for these programs.
1: That's wonderful to hear, and I'm really glad. Having attended a traditional four-year university and having the student debt to pay off, I'm glad to hear that you all are committed to not saddling people with that much. Since we're coming up in time, I have two more questions for you. The first is, Our audience, as I mentioned, are primarily current and future healthcare professionals, as well as their patients and family members. What advice would you give to somebody considering a career or already in a career pathway to become healthcare providers or to join the healthcare workforce in some way?
0: I'll go first because Rochelle's really the expert. So what I would say is be adaptive, watch the emerging trends. Lifelong learning is really critical in this. Who would have guessed that uh, the coronavirus would be changing so much in healthcare delivery as well as how we approach healthcare? Demographics matter. And so not only being great at the practices that you're doing, but keeping your head up and look at where systems are changing or where today's solutions may not be tomorrow's answers.
2: I would add to Brian is that, you know, with the pandemic, there's a lot of uncertainty and it is scary to enter into a healthcare profession at this time, but it's also an opportunity for learning. We have an opportunity to see firsthand the profession that the student is entering how they are adapting and responding to a world pandemic we're learning together and every day there's something new and innovative to help deliver patient care so continue to be engaged and excited about the profession that you're entering
1: that's wonderful advice thanks for sharing that is there any other question or thought you'd like to get across to our audience while we have you
2: sure i would like to share you know as we mentioned we have a variety of healthcare programs. If any student or anyone is even interested around our current programs or in the continuing education space, please visit the Healthcare Maricopa website for additional information. We have a variety of programs, as we mentioned before, and that would be a great resource for any student.
0: Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you Shiv and and your team for giving us an opportunity to be on your program. And I really appreciate the concept of raising the line that we have to make healthcare accessible to everyone in our community and will only be as strong as being able to do that. So thank you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate what you both are doing to do that. I mean, raising the line is only possible when we have people like you are committed to helping provide the opportunity for people to become Healthcare providers and support staff in the healthcare system. So, Brian and Rochelle, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. And with that, I'm Shivugwani. Thanks to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line, since we're all in this together. Thank you.
0: For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org/covid19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels.